great in its use of negative imagery more than anything else. But that central cohesive core, you know, that must lead through an artist's work, leading from one to the other. Screaming is a pin to my ear. You understand what I'm talking about? Like high intensity, you understand? A hot medium. What I want to give for a large sock with horse manure in it. Good morning, and welcome to episode 330 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball's Precision. Uh, <laughs> hi, Ben. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. 330 is a significant baseball number for me because... <laughs> Everything's um, significant to you. On the West Coast, when uh, games start at 4.05, mm-hmm. uh, on weekdays, 330 is when I officially uh, used to quit working at, at any job I ever had and start just staring at my computer waiting for games to start so 330 is is when the the local economy the extremely local economy slowed down and uh slightly and now staring at the computer and waiting for games to start is your job it is yeah it's nice uh so it's an email show and this is um i would say an unprecedentedly uh good or at least deep crop of questions uh, normally, I, I move all the questions to a folder, and then I star the ones that I, I, I would like to answer or are worth answering. And every single one is starred. Every single question is starred. Uh-huh. And so, so two-hour like, show. We're not going to get to nearly all of the good <laughs> questions. Maybe sometime uh, we'll get to some more of them. But uh, we'll, I'll just start clicking on random. So, uh, so David uh, asks baseball is one word. Why does BBWAA get spelled and pronounced pronounced with the second B? The acronym is painfully awkward. Use your influence to correct this. And so I went, just I, I had a, I, I thought I knew why, and I went to check and uh, found an old BBWAA card, membership card from the 1930s uh, that was being sold on eBay. And sure enough, uh, baseball was still using the uh, two-word spelling uh mm-hmm. for the bbwaa which is somewhat surprising because um baseball as one word seems to have been fairly established by 1908 when the bbwaa was founded and in fact the new york times switched its house style to one word in 1880 hmm. 28 years earlier so it seems very surprising that um the that they would have gone with the two word style um but they did BBWA has never been the most progressive organization. That's actually a, a, a pro, I mean, that's a uh, that's a cheap shot. <laughs> but and yet, irrelevant. Another reason yeah. is that the Boxing Writers Association of America is the BWAA, and I would imagine uh, that that predated the BB. Uh, well, no. It was originally formed in 1926. So when did you say the the BBWAA was formed? Do you know? 1908. Okay, so that's not the reason. What a, do you know what else? A good one. Do you know what? Do you know what else the BBWAA hasn't changed since 1908? <laughs> its website? No, that's not true. There, yes, that's it. That's it. That's what I was. <laughs> no, they actually have though. Do you remember the website? I do a few remember. Years ago, it was like neon. I do. Neon green. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was hideous. <laughs> I do remember it. That was uh, all right. Uh, so Peter writes, uh, on last week's show, you talked about the Phillies finally adding a stats guy to the front office, but noted it was just one guy. You talked as if that was not nearly enough, so it got me thinking, what are the first things that a person would do to bring analytics into an organization that had never used them? 
I think in that conversation, Sam said he'd take that job in a heartbeat. So, Sam, what would you do? Do, do you remember? Did I say that? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would take any job. Yeah, I would take any job in a heartbeat. But, I mean, certainly would not be good at it. I mean, and I have no illusions of that. I mean, uh, I would take it in like, like anybody would probably take it because it would be fun. And you'd get a few good weeks before they got rid of you. But um, I have an answer for this. I don't know if you have an answer for this. Uh, do you have a sort of a grand plan that you could implement or a philosophy that you would implement that hasn't been implemented? Well, that seems sort of ambitious for this situation, right? I mean, okay, yeah, sure, fair enough. So yeah. what so what, I, what is the you have you, you have one day to prove that you belong and what what would you do to build your uh, your your brain trust? Talk about how I went to scout school, probably. Um, I don't, I don't know that, if that's what you would do <laughs> to, yeah. to fit in, <laughs> I, I oh, yeah, get yeah, on their yeah. side. Um, I, see. I don't know. Uh, the first thing you could do to bring analytics to the organization, I mean, like show them like a, <laughs> I don't know, like show them a baseball reference page and walk them through the columns and tell them what it means. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like you could do some basic things like you could I don't know you could explain like aging curves or something I feel like you're just talking about explaining you're just talking about explaining you're not talking about building something you're just talking about like how you would communicate I I mean I I I think you're vastly underestimating the the Phillies exposure to this stuff I'm I'm fair I I would guess that they know what aging curves are (laughs) it's hard to tell from their signings and I, I don't know. Maybe I, I feel like, well, maybe I, in one day, I don't, I don't know what you could, you can't build a, I, I just, I feel like you and I are answering this question. I, we're, we're, I think we're both, we're trying to answer this question different ways. So okay. let me tell you what I was thinking. Okay. I, Cause I think that he's asking like, what would you do? Like if you were the manager what, you know, of, of a new department, uh-huh. like what would you bring to it? And so I think that if I were a team building a, 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 a a stats department from scratch and even if i weren't even if i were a team that were already establishing uh, that had already established a stats department i still think that some teams should do this and it's going to sound maybe self-serving uh and certainly self-congratulatory but i actually think that um a team should buy baseball prospectus um it and and you know keep the editorial independence um, so that, you know, we would keep publishing whatever we want and you, we could be, you know, as, as critical of the team as we wanted. But it does feel like that uh, we as a company do something that teams are kind of openly admitting they're not able to do as well as we are, which is find talented um, uh, people who are qualified to work in the front office and sort of test them in a way um, because they, you know, like they just hired Colin. Uh, there are are, if I can say this, there, I think there's a, at least one more announcement that will be coming at some point in the offseason. And, you know, there's a whole slew of people that, that teams have hired uh, in the recent past and, and going back uh, into the slightly more distant past. So it seems to me that um, if, if you're using sort of us as your minor league system, but you have to share it with everybody else, mm-hmm. that there would be a big incentive to uh, not have to share it with anybody else. It would, it would almost be like if every team in baseball were using the scouting bureau and you got to be the only one that wasn't using the scouting bureau mm-hmm. um, and you could still also use the scouting bureau, uh, it would be a huge advantage, like, like a massive advantage, I, I would think. 
Um, so, so I don't know. I don't exactly know. Once I bought baseball prospectus, I don't exactly know what I would do. Like if if it would be a matter of having uh, people at the site do work or do research or do you know have consulting with the team as non-employees, or if it would be sort of a first right of refusal for uh, for anybody moving into the game or whatever. But somehow I would try to take ownership of it because because I mean right now. It, it it feels like uh, an, uh, a a resource that is being tapped uh, by many teams, and I would want to be the only team that was tapping it. Uh, yeah, okay, but then if if you, I'm trying to. Th- I mean, would we continue to attract talent if we were just like an in-house? organ of the Phillies where we didn't publish anything yeah. except for well no we would we would publish we it would. would still be the, okay there, it would still be total editorial independence uh-huh. there would still be a site there would still be a book we would still write every word that we write the the primary features of the, of, of what we do would be the same I'm not exactly sure so, like so I said they I'm, would we would just be like indentured servants of some sort where we would no, we we would be a we would be an arm of of a larger company hmm it would be like when uh, it's like how Jay Z has his own label. We would just be a label under, you know, under Sony or or under whatever a bigger label is. Mm-hmm. You know, like how how everybody's got their own little labels. Mm-hmm. It would be uh, it wouldn't be intention. And so yeah, I think more people. I mean, if if it were explicitly an avenue toward working with a team and perhaps working for a team eventually, uh, yeah, I don't think there'd be any problem. Something like this actually was discussed once many years ago before our time at BP. I don't think it, it went that far, but it it, it was discussed. I uh, I would I would say um, yeah. I don't know if if I only had one day. I guess I was gonna say I would just put up a put up a job listing. It would be a productive thing to do, <laughs> <laughs> assuming that I have permission to hire some other people. Um, who would you hire? You don't have anybody that you would hire. I mean, do you have it? Would you hire a person you know? Would you hire a, uh, you know, what what field would you hire somebody from? What what type of person would you want to hire? Uh, I I have to hire programmers and database guys. Oh my gosh, you're so unfun on this question. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Louise, like you wrote that piece about how the Indians were using saber metrics for like. Marketing. Uh, company marketing promotions. Yeah. So you could say that you would hire a stat head to run your Twitter account or something. Like you could say anything fun, and you're saying that you would you would tell the GM about aging curves. And you would put up a job listing for a programmer. <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm sitting alone here in my department, tapping my pencil against my desk. I need warm bodies in here. Uh, then the the job interview starts as soon as you say hello. You got to be ready for this. By the way, the Indians uh, sabermetric marketing and attendance approach that I wrote about apparently didn't work that well. No, they got they got <laughs> outdrawn by the Astros. So bad, 14th in the American <laughs> League. So I, I don't know. I might have to go 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 back and revisit <laughs> how intelligent I think that whole thing was. Um, All right. Yeah. Matt Matt Trueblood. Um, friend of the show says do you think the emerging comprehension of an emphasis on pitch framing will lead us to a left-handed catcher in the majors soon bear with me because this actually gets interesting um the reasons for which lefties are never allowed to catch have always been flimsy there's the minor issue a half beat lost on throws to third but it's not a huge deal and here's where i should uh 
do the obligatory mention that Rob Nyer and Bill James speculated that there's no left-handed catchers because if you can throw hard enough to be a catcher left-handed, you get funneled into pitching where you're more valuable. But that's obligatory. I have to mention that every time. On balance, getting a left-handed player behind the dish is a larger structural advantage than being a left-handed. Than being left-handed is a physical disadvantage. So something will have to happen in order to top conventional wisdom on this front, and I wonder if that's something is framing. Consider, no MLB umpire has probably ever umped behind a left-handed catcher. If the first few guys to do it are smart and technically sound, I would think they could manipulate an arbiter even better than a right-hander could. It's entirely possible that the reason most plate-expanding calls are on pitches to the third-base corner of the dish has to do with the angle and attitude of the catcher's arm, body, and glove when the ball arrives, if that's true, it would follow that a lefty catcher would better frame the outside corner to righties, and that's actually the more valuable corner of the plate for pitchers to control, since a majority of plate appearances are taken from the right-handed batter's box. Seems like the time for a lefty catcher could finally be upon us. Do you agree? Uh, yes, I do. And we had an article about this, actually, earlier this year at BP. Um, mm. Max, Max Markey wrote a... An article asking whether it was time to lift the ban on left-handed catchers and made exactly the same case. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see why not. His, uh, his conclusion was, uh, while the hypothesis of an advantage in framing might be far-fetched, and he shows pretty decent evidence that it isn't completely far-fetched, uh, I can't find any reason for lefties to be at a disadvantage. And given the spread in framing talent, I would lean toward keeping a small door open for southpaw backstops. Here's how I would envision the ideal candidate for this out-of-the-box experiment. A lefty first baseman in the minors, whose bat appears to be adequate for the show, but not at an offense first position, and who isn't suited for a move to the outfield. Would an infielder turned catcher be able to put up better framing numbers than guys who have donned the tools of ignorance since day one? Just ask Russell Martin. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think so. Um, right. I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense for the reasons that Max and Matt said. Okay. So yeah. Good. Sure. Resolved. Yeah. Resolved. That could be your, your first day as the, G, <laughs> as the stats guy. I'll put up a, could be, put up a how job much list. Better would that, for, how for good would that catchers. answer have been, Ben? Your answer would have been like a superstar <laughs> level answer if you'd said left-handed catcher. <laughs> Darn. Uh, Brady says, I was on a rant last night about how we force analyst hats on columnists and beat writers by giving them award votes. I feel researchers and real analysts should be given the privilege of determining who wins the hardware since they should understand how the game works better than anyone else. Uh, this, before I go on, it is, I think, a, it is a, it does seem like a, a serious flaw in baseball writing that we ask the same people who report um, on trade rumors to tell us who the best um uh, players are that those are two very different skills I f- and i feel like they are related or they should be related i feel i feel like you would be better at one if you're good at the other right i mean it, the- i don't know it's like the well no to me it's like the guy who covers um hollywood for the wall street journal's business section and the guy who reviews the movie for the wall street journal are two different people they're two different skill sets mm-hmm. and i don't uh I don't think that it's a disaster to conflate the two. Um, there's some familiarity with the uh, with the industry and the topic for sure, but there are enough people in this world who want to write about baseball 
uh, there are way too many people in this world who want to write about baseball um, that it seems like, um, you know, we could have more specialized, uh, specialized roles. I think it's good to have specialized roles. But I feel like even if you're just someone who breaks news or reports rumors, it's still beneficial to you to understand how teams value players and what makes players good, right? So that you know whether a rumor is at all realistic and you know whether there's a chance that it might happen unless you're, you know, you're, you're just parroting uh, whatever someone tells you. You have to have a sense of, of whether a trade is balanced. And to do that, you have to know how, how to evaluate players, right? And how teams evaluate players. I, I mean, I think the idea of having to separate analysis or separate analysts from columnists or reporters it sort of makes sense, but it's baseball. You know, the, the concepts are not extremely difficult to understand. We're not asking anyone to, to calculate the statistics themselves, but to be able to understand what they mean and generally what goes into them, especially if there's something that the teams themselves are looking at and paying players based on, you should know that and you can know that. I, I guess I, I mean I guess it's it's fa- it's fair if these if these guys are 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 being asked to analyze it is fair to ask them to do the best job of it. I'm just saying that it might not be the best idea to ask them to analyze. It might be better um, because because certainly you, I think you would admit that you can't do what they do. Correct? You have no shot. Like is reporting that, rumors and breaking yeah. news. Yeah, I wouldn't be as good at it as as people who are good at that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I would be horrible at it. I would be the worst at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, they could they could certainly clear a, a with effort. They could clear a minimum bar that would satisfy uh, most of the internet. Um, but the fact that they, I mean, they don't. They don't. There's no, there's, they don't want it, right? I mean, a lot of them don't particularly want it. They're not interested in it. Um, and they, they feel like they know enough. So if you're an editor, I guess the question is, if you're an editor, do you look at, at what's going on and go, oh, it's working perfectly? Or do you say, my rumors guy does rumors, and my non-rumors guy does, um, you know, batted ball analysis? Uh, well, I don't know. I think probably most readers at a mainstream outlet are, agree with whatever the whatever the reporter slash columnist stance on these things is. So in terms of not alienating your readers, it's probably fine as it is. Oh, reader, no, readers agree with everything. Readers agree <laughs> with everything and disagree with everything. The- uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen the comments on my articles at ESPN. <laughs> they don't agree. Um, yeah, but they don't agree with, they don't agree with, with, with anybody they don't agree with buster either i mean they yeah everybody everybody you know you think you're right they think he hates every team right there's two there's two things that that guide all you know all responses like one is everybody hates everything so you're going to get a ton of negativity no matter what you are and the other is that we very passively consume many things that are just put in front of us and so like for instance the tv show family matters is not a good show it is a garbage show and if i were to write a comment on the TV show Family Matters, I would say some nasty things to it. But also, 
if it's on TV and if I'm sitting on a couch, I will watch a marathon. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I won't complain during that watching of the marathon. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're a newspaper, you can really get away with giving as long as you're generating new content every day and putting it in a, in a big piece of paper and charging not that much for it. And there's ad, there's coupons. I mean, most people who get newspaper get it for the coupons. Uh, so... Uh, you can get away with an extremely low level of analysis or you can put a high level of analysis in and you don't get any actual profits, but you feel better about yourself putting out a good product. Well, if I were an editor, I would do my best to get people who can do both things and cover things in an analytical way and also write well and also report ideally. So, yeah. So since we're not talking about editors, since we're talking about the BBWAA. If you were the uh, if, if you were the head of the BBWAA, would you change voting protocol at all? And let me. I, I guess I'll keep reading Brady's yeah, read question. The question. Uh, how do you go about creating an association of analysts, researchers, knowledgeable baseball people, so we can attempt to create a powerful alternative to the BBWAA? Um, I would, and presumably many others, would respect an award given out by this panel over the alternatives. I first reject the premise. Uh-huh. Um, I think the world is uh, is awards crazy yes. in a way that dilutes all of them. I don't feel the need for new awards in any in any capacity in any comp- in any part of my life. There's a book that I've been meaning to read uh, for a couple of years that I've had recommended to me multiple times about awards culture. And once I read it, I'll have even harsher words to say. I'm sure, <laughs> but um, generally speaking, I mean there are there there are uh, broad um, attempts at this that get voting, uh, that, that have voting done by all the people that you like. I mean, the right. SB Nation does theirs and gets good results. We, Certainly the IBA. We, right, we do the Internet Baseball Awards. We've been running the, IBA has, the results of those a, all week at BP, and right. all the winners they are the long, people that you would want to win. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. The results are perfect. Right. They are exactly what you want. And, um, you know, nobody shows up for the IBA ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um the the fielding bible has done a good job and and i'm not i, I guess it, it, that'd be an interesting case study to to figure out why um but the field the fielding bible does do a good job um but generally speaking um i, the, I think that the the realization i i had today while wondering why i've uh, grown to care less and less about the um the awards is i realized today i think for the first time maybe that they that the point of the game is not to win an MVP award. It is it is right. actually separate from the game. It is it has nothing to do with the game itself. Mm-hmm. The the point of baseball uh, is to win, and uh, you know to win baseball games. Um, and the MVP award is a sort of secondary effect that comes along or doesn't come along. It doesn't really matter whether it even exists. Mm-hmm. And so this is just one group of people that decided they would have a vote that nobody conferred it upon them so far as I know. They just decided they were going to have a vote. I mean, they were, what, Spalding or something was was sponsoring it, and, you know, no big deal, just going to do a vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, the players and the sport and the world decided they cared about that vote, not, you know, it wasn't it wasn't engineered. Right. It, it just sort of happened. There's a market for this, and they filled it first, and it doesn't affect anything. There are no games yes. won or lost after the fact. Because uh, somebody didn't win the MVP, so uh, so once you acknowledge that it's thirty people who are not selected by you to represent you, uh, they are not they are not your um, your congressman, 
Um, they don't affect your, your property tax or your water bill. It's really easy to just move on. Yeah, right. I, and I, I guess this kind of goes back to the discussion we had with Brian Kenny when we talked about whether there's, you know, whether we should care if, if someone doesn't do good analysis or something, whether we should confront them or just let it go. And I, I, I can understand, I guess, why it's frustrating for people if, you know, because Brady says a, a powerful alternative to the BBWA. The BBWA is not powerful in itself. It's its power derives from you caring about what it says, right? So if you... Well, it's awards. It, it is a powerful organization if you're a reporter trying to get access. Oh, but well, yeah. It's awards. Sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, right. So there's no... It has power in a sense, I guess, in that it influences public opinion to some extent, just because the people who are in it are also writing columns at places where people read them and, and maybe are influenced by what they say and what they think. But right. I, we don't need to, I don't think we need to create our own organization that just, just to, to tell ourselves that, <laughs> that we're right about Mike Trout being better than Miguel Cabrera. I mean, it's just, we know that that's true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. forget about yeah. what anyone else right. says. I, I don't know. And you can cert- if you want to convene a panel of people who agree with you to con- to uh, confirm that they agree with you, uh, it's you know it's easy to do that. The world makes it easy to sort right now, and nobody who um, I mean everybody who thinks that Mike Trout is better than Miguel Cabrera has many opportunities to uh, to have that belief uh, confirmed um, just by going on to your self-selected group of readers and, right. and internet friends and having them tell you. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not all that useful, but it's, it's uh, comforting. And so, uh, we should all feel comforted. Um, and I don't even, I will say, I will yeah. say the, the hall of fame is the hall of fame, I think is maybe slightly different because the hall of fame is a little bit of, a you know, it's sort of, it is a little bit of a public utility, uh, you know, that we all, that we all share and that, um, that, as I understand it, did select the BBWAA. The BBWAA was not electing Hall of Famers all along, and then a building sprung up. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, you know, they were asked, and so somebody could say, "Well, you guys have done you've done this long enough, or you haven't done a good enough job." I mean, it seems perfectly reasonable that just as CBS could lose its license, for instance, to broadcast on CBS uh, airwaves, that the BBWAA could. Uh, breach that trust, and and you know somebody could demand that that the vote is is re rearranged, and there's a case to be made for that. I don't feel the same way about awards, which are really just nothing but a straw poll, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there are various internet alternatives, right? There's Baseball Think Factory does the Hall of Merit, and mm-hmm. Barry Bonds was elected last year, and. And Clemens and Piazza and Biggio, they're all in. So if you memorable speech, very memorable speech. (laughs) Right. So if that makes you feel better, great. They're they're in, but there's no actual building that you can go visit. So I guess that makes it a little less meaningful. But yeah, and as for the awards, I don't even know whether people disagree really about about Cabrera being, you know, about Trout being better than Cabrera versus versa. It doesn't even seem like people who voted for Cabrera think that now or at least some of them don't, they're just really parsing that valuable versus best distinction, which is even more meaningless than the arguments that we've had in the past. So as long as, as long as the 
definition of the award is ambiguous, or at least people interpret it to be ambiguous, I have no interest in getting into that discussion because then we're we're not even arguing about the same thing anymore. Um, so Michael asks, uh, or writes, I should say, there's not really a question, there's a wonderful suggestion. So Michael writes, I agree with you that the current free agent compensation system is lousy. If there must be free agent compensation, it should be done without penalizing the signing team. Here is my suggestion. Teams make qualifying offers to any free agents they want to keep. A qualifying offer can be for any amount of money in any number of years. The player can accept or decline a qualifying offer. So just, August, I'll, I'll paraphrase or sum up as, as we go. So uh, if the Giants wanted to make a qualifying offer to Andres Torres for to get compensation, they could offer him uh, anything they want. They could offer him one year and $1 million. player can accept or decline. All right, step two. If a player declines, if Torres declines this offer, he is free to sign elsewhere with no penalty to the signing team. If the player does sign elsewhere, the team that made a qualifying offer, the Giants in this case, is allowed extra money towards signing amateur players, either drafted players or international free agents. The amount of extra money a team is allowed to spend is equal to 2% of the total value of their qualifying offer. They're free to take that money or spend it. So Torres signs with the Cardinals. The Giants get twenty thousand dollars more in their um, in their uh, you know in, say in their draft pool. As an example, under this system, the Red Sox. Oh, he gives an example. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Sox might make a qualifying offer of five years and hundred million dollars to Jacob Ellsbury. If he accepts, he's signed at that price. If he declines, the Red Sox get an extra two million dollars to spend in the draft or international players. On the other hand, if they had only offered one year and ten million dollars, their compensation would be only two hundred thousand dollars. They couldn't offer something ridiculous like $750 million because if they did, Ellsbury would just accept the offer and that would be his contract. So no team would make an offer beyond what a player was worth to them. Signing teams and free agents themselves would not be penalized, which is crucial. And teams that lose valued free agents would still get useful compensation. And I mostly just wanted to read this because I think it's a very elegant solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there are, as I wrote, there are a number of problems with the current system. One of which is um, that such a small number of players uh, bring back compensation that it doesn't really seem to fairly compensate teams that lose free agents. Um, and it, the, the qualifying offer is a completely arbitrary and unrealistic contract offer. So it's not you know real, really realistic to what the game is like. But this is really nice because every player carries compensation that is um, more or less exactly... Um, relative to their uh, to the amount of money that a team is willing to offer them, which we consider their true talent level, I think that there's only one issue with it, and it still remains the underlying idea of compensation for teams who lose free agents. Mm -hmm. I believe um, that at least part of the idea of compensation is to promote players staying with their teams. That the idea is to you know they that the league has decided it is. Uh, in the interest of the sport when, or that it is good for the sport or good for the aesthetics of the sport when players stay with their teams. Mm -hmm. And secondarily, to, uh, to uh, give incentives for... You basically want to create a system where players stay with the team so that the free agent market isn't quite so open and therefore the amount of money that is spent is somewhat suppressed by a lack of mobility. And anytime you give compensation to the original team if they lose their player, you are now giving them an incentive to not sign their player. So, uh, for instance, let's say in this Jacob Ellsbury example, the Red Sox essentially get 
you know, say $2 million or whatever million dollars in value if Ellsbury signs elsewhere. So he is actually worth, say he's worth $100 million to every team. He's actually only worth $99 million to the Red Sox because they get a million if he leaves. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really give incentives to teams to let their players walk if what you're trying to do is encourage them to keep their players. Um, so that's why I think the compensation system in general uh, is either poorly thought out or uh, doesn't know what it wants or wants something else that I haven't quite identified. Yeah, and I, I like the, the question that you asked in your article. Um, I forget how you phrased it exactly, but you said something like, this This seems too simple. To, like, I'm afraid to ask this question because it seems too obvious, but why... Why is there any compensation for someone whose contract is completed? They're no longer property of that team. That team has no claim on them any longer. They signed right. them for a sp certain number of years. Those years have passed. Uh, right. Why it is no longer property. It is like the analogy I gave was if you if somebody comes and steals your house, you can complain that they stole your house and now you're homeless. But if you just check out of the hotel right. and another person moves into the hotel room after you've gone away... Like you don't get compensation. You don't get to claim to have been wronged because you, you know, you checked out of a hotel, which is basically what happens when a contract expires. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. I guess I'll do one more. Okay. Uh, Daniel says, what sabermetric statistic do you guys think is the least complete or in most need of improvement? Um, blah, blah, blah. He gives examples of bad defense. He's trying to lead us toward defense. Uh, that's the one that seems the most limited to me, but maybe you guys have different ideas. If you're big on the validity of defensive stats, if they're currently calculated, any info to persuade me would be helpful. Um, do you have an answer to this, either defense or not defense? Do you have? Does anything jump out at you? Uh, it's hard to come up with a better answer than defense. Cause defense is pretty important. <laughs> so, and we've got a pretty good handle on offense and we've got a decent handle on pitching in most of most of pitching at least so so yeah I mean I guess I'm with him on on defense and I I don't have a great argument to to persuade him I think the the thing he he talks about how Trout had like negative defensive value according to some metrics this season um and it's just it doesn't mean that he was a bad fielder and that he was a good fielder last year and now he's a bad one. It has a lot to do with opportunities. Like Trout, I don't remember how many home runs he saved in 2012, but there were a few certainly. Like Carlos Gomez brought back five home runs this year. And that obviously is partially talent. It's someone who can time their leap and jump high enough to catch a ball and be coordinated enough to bring the ball back down with them. But it has a lot to do with just just chance, just having balls be hit in an area where it's it's humanly possible to catch them. So mm -hmm. Carlos Gomez... And just barely, just yeah, barely. Yeah, right. They, they can't I mean, be... <laughs> anybody who's played Little League remembers, like, you know, basically you only want balls to be hit at just the right distance so that you can make a sliding catch and look really good. Like if a ball is too easy, it's not that much fun. And if it's, if it's just like a foot too far, it's, you know, you can't catch it. And you just like those very, very few where you get to slide are just gold. They're, they're, they're like perfect situations for you. Yeah. 
And I, I forget what the run value that, that BIS gave Carlos Gomez for his home run saving catches this year, something like eight or nine runs. And he's probably not going to have those runs next year, not because he'll necessarily be a worse center fielder than he was, but he just won't have the opportunity to distinguish himself in that way. So so that's part of it. It's just that there's just an inherent variability to it because there aren't as many opportunities to catch uh, balls that are, you know, that would be tough plays as there are, say, plate appearances in a season. So it just it doesn't necessarily even out from year to year. I have a small thing. I um, I I think that uh, positional adjustment and defense should just be combined. I think it's silly that we say that, you know, uh, you know, some guy was a plus four defender in left and some other guy was a plus four defender at short mm-hmm. as though the, I mean, I mean, obviously if you're paying attention, you know, those aren't equal. Yeah. And if you're, if you're really paying attention, you just do the math in your head and you know, the positional adjustments, you know, by heart, but it really seems like you should be able to get a defense number, just one defense number mm-hmm. where trout, I mean, trout was, you know, let, let's say trout was a minus, this is not the case, but if he was a minus three defender in center field this year, that's still really good, like compared to Miguel Cabrera. Or not, Cabrera's not a great example, but uh, compared to you know Prince Fielder, who might have been a minus three defender, that's a huge, 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 huge uh, upgrade. So yeah. I think that one number for that would be would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, okay. That's all. Can, oh, let's do really one really quick one. Another one from Brady, who just says, "Simple question: How many Cy Youngs will Kershaw win in his lifetime?" Oh yeah, so I uh, I actually looked this up. No, I didn't look it up. You can't <laughs> you look this up yet. <laughs> it's, it's not. This is not not on the internet. Um, I uh, Kershaw has the best um, ERA plus through twenty five of any of any pitcher in in post dead ball history. Um, do you know who number two is? By the way, if you've been uh, paying attention to my Twitter feed, Walter you should. Johnson. I, no, post dead ball. Post oh, post dead ball. Oh, uh, I have not been paying attention to your Twitter feed. Um, uh, Barry Zito. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Kershaw is number one. And so it's hard to find comps because everybody is worse than him. But if you look at the 10 guys below him, um, and off the top of my head, I don't remember all of them, but it's like, uh, it's, it's Zito, then Apier, then Seaver, then Clemens, uh, Pedro's on there, Blylevin, Pettit, Mussina, Santana, and one other guy. Uh, if you look at the 10 guys below him in the post Cy Young era, from age 26 on, those 10 guys, did I say Carlos Zambrano? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, so that's 10. Uh, those 10 guys won 10 Cy Youngs. So you might say one is a good bet, mm-hmm. but um, you might not because you might say that Kershaw is uh, the best of those 11. And the mean is not a good uh, is not a good substitute for what he is. Um, and you might also note that um, uh, it, it's not evenly distributed. It's not one per. Mm. Uh, it's five five for Clemens, I believe, two for Seaver, uh, two for Pedro, and, and one for Santana. Mm. So six guys got none. And who do you think Kershaw is more like? The four I just said, or Zambrano and and Pettit and Zito and Avier and I mean, even knowing that you know, even if you look past the kind of uh, fact that those guys um, uh, aged worse in a lot of cases from this point on, mm-hmm. you know, even through age twenty five, you would never confuse Zito and Kershaw. I wouldn't yeah. think. Right. 
So or Zambrano and Kershaw. So I don't know. Ten uh, one. One seems is like a reasonable answer. Reasonable, but um, but I'd go two. I think that it's underselling him. I wouldn't go higher than I wouldn't go higher than three as a bet. He might win seven, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't go higher than two. I, I wouldn't go higher than two as a bet. So mm-hmm. I'll say two. Okay, I'll say one. All right. Uh, okay. So thank you for the excellent questions. Maybe we'll get to some of the ones we didn't answer next week, but please continue to send them to podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. There is a 54 comment thread in there right now about people arguing about the Hall of Fame. So if you're into that sort of thing, I'm not even going to wade into that. But uh, if you want to argue with other listeners to this podcast, that would be the place. Uh, I do feel bad that we spend a large portion of our time telling people that the things they're interested in are not interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just personal taste. And it's more than personal taste. It's I would say it's fatigue on our own parts because we have to right. write about it each year. And so once you get fatigued, you then start crafting arguments for why you shouldn't have to do it. So I don't think that anybody is wrong to care about anything that they care about and i i am sorry that we have absolutely no fun in our lives and we try to take it out on you yes right um and we are three itunes ratings away from 300 so go if you're if you're our 300th rating we won't know that it was you but we will thank you in in our hearts so uh go rate and review us at itunes and subscribe to us there uh and have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back next week